Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have somebody who's always annually in the top 1% worldwide for Coldwell Banker. Just basically one of the best luxury agents in our in the globe. I'm going to go with that. Well, thank in you. I like that. In the globe, that. Christoph. <laughs> uh, you've, you've been on Million Dollar Listing, Selling LA. You speak fluent French and Spanish, and you're just an amazing luxury broker. Thank so you. I am honored to have you on the podcast, Christoph Chu. I'm excited you're here visiting me in Beverly Hills. I am too. This, I mean, this, <laughs> this is quite the uh, the whole entire afternoon for us. We're going to do a little tour later, and yep. we're, we're, we're excited about that. Show everyone a $20 million mansion and go have some lunch. And... I'm going to get some YouTube tips off you because you have 8 you million plus views <laughs> on your YouTube channel, which if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you'll be able to get a link to Christoph's channel. So I want to start with anyone who's not familiar with you, your story, go all the way back, like how you got into real estate, your 30 plus years in the business, bring us all the way back. If I can remember that far back, because you're basically, you were barely around as a little toddler when I started in real estate. That is true. So yeah, to go back, um, I started my career in real estate probably 1987, maybe it was 1988. It's it's about 32 years approximately. I barely graduated high school. I, I, I had a scholarship and then I lost it because I ditched too much school. And basically my parents were pissed off, took away the car, took away everything. And I had to work, which I did, worked several jobs. I cleaned apartments, I valet parked cars, I worked at the Hollywood Bowl, and I was a fashion model. Oh, and I also worked at Dupar's restaurant as a cashier. So um, I was working and modeling and um, traveling a lot. And my wife now of 26 years, she said to me, how about getting a more stable job? I was 18 years old. And I'm like, what did you have in mind? You know, I didn't know anything. She says, how about real estate? And, you know, 18 years old, I thought, well, I can drive a fancy car, I can show pretty houses, and I can make a lot of money and be my own boss. I had no idea there was such a thing as escrows and title and insurance and loans and appraisals. I just, you know, young and dumb at 18, I just thought, well, get a license and I'll sell real estate. So I got my license, um, joined John Douglas Company, which is now Cobalt Banker. And um, the first office I interviewed at was close to, I was still living with my family at their home. And the first office I interviewed at, the manager said to me, what are your goals? I said, I want to make a million dollars a year and drive a Rolls Royce. So I think she thought I was crazy and she did not hire me. She said, no, I don't think you're the right fit for the office. It was an area called Las Feliz, which is kind of a, it's not Beverly Hills, let's put it that way. So then I went to the next closest office, which was Hancock Park. Uh, the manager, Joe Love, uh, did hire me. And um, I started doing two open houses a week, floor desk, up desk, whatever you call it. Uh, for a year, I had one sale. My first sale was $43,000 condo. And uh, I made $1,700 commission. And the manager called me in like a year into the business and said, you know, you're not really doing any business. And if you don't, you know, step up your game, basically, in 90 days, you're out of the office. And I'm like, shoot. I mean, I don't want to leave the office. It was the best company, the best office near where I was living. And I'm like, okay. I started learning about prospecting. I went to a seminar which talked about calling expired listings and, you know, pursuing expired listings. And at 18, 19, I didn't really know anyone my age that was buying or selling. And my family referrals and friends weren't, nothing was happening. Actually, my second listing was a, I think it was like a $100,000 house near downtown. Uh, I had it for six months and I couldn't sell it um, because literally the Hollywood freeway, it was literally above the Hollywood freeway. So you'd look down from the side of the house and it was the slope onto the freeway. So didn't sell that house. Not desirable. No, exactly. (laughs) And so, um, I landed a prospect and I started prospecting and I started getting expired listings. And back in those days, 
uh, expired listings were pretty easy to get. I would get them and get them. And at, at the peak of that time, I was doing maybe like 65, 75 deals a year. Uh, average price is about 230000 And I was one of the top agents in the office. But I felt stifled and I felt I couldn't grow there. I felt that was the big fish in the little sea. Um, and Hancock Park was a very established... How far is that from here? Just so It's about f- f- three to four miles east of here. Okay. But very different kind of area. Just very different. And back in those days, I was always... My manager was British. He'd say, Christoph, you're much too flashy for Hancock Park. With that exact accent. <laughs> and I'd have... Because I'd had a diamond earring. I'd wear like pink suits and no socks and... It was a very conservative old money neighborhood. Was the two hundred fifty thousand? Was that the average price point in, at the time of that area? No, in that area at the time, the high price point was three point five million. Okay. Uh, the average in that luxury area was more like a million, two million, three. Okay. But I wasn't doing a lot of luxury at that point at all. I was just doing mostly first-time buyer, first-time buyer houses like one fifty, two hundred, three hundred. I remember when I got my first listing for four eighty-nine. I was so excited, you know, four eighty-nine thousand. So I just started working it, and it started working, and I started selling, and basically went from seventeen hundred to like twenty thousand in commission to like forty to eighty to. I was like doubling every year, and um, and then, gosh, maybe eight or so years into that office, I was then training director for the office. And um, training all the new agents because I was, I think I was like 23 years old at the time and I wanted to make extra money. So I said the training director was leaving and I made a proposal of becoming the training director and they hired me. So that was nice. But I still wa- wanted to be somewhere else. So I, as a training director, I would go to the conferences for all the other managers in the company mm. and we're sitting at lunch. And um, one of them, the manager, assistant manager of Beverly Hills said, Why don't you come to Beverly Hills? And I said, you know, I've always wanted to. I've just never done anything about it. So they said, the manager said, why don't you come interview with me on Friday? It was a three-day um, uh, management retreat. And so I went in the next day. They said, we'd like you to join. I went back, packed up my stuff, and just moved immediately. It was not even a question if I would move here. Because I'd been building my social world and our life in the Beverly Hills area, although we were living in South Pasadena, which is like an hour drive east of here living in South Pasadena, working in Hancock Park, but our social world was in Beverly Hills. So it was a no-brainer to move. I moved my office immediately, and um, I think it was four or five years later when I physically moved my home from South Pasadena, we moved here, and that's kind of how it started. And um, But once I moved to Beverly Hills, I was in the right spot to do luxury because then uh, I had unlimited price ranges, and I had the clientele, and... I started really focusing on the luxury market. And for me at that time, I was still prospecting when I first came here. So I kind of made the decision. Every year my price point was coming up. When I moved here, it was like 280. Then it went to like 350, then 500, and then 780. So every year with a new price point, whatever that average was, I would not go after listings below that average sales price. Keeping your transaction number the same or close to it? No, no, no. I don't do as many transactions. Yeah, At the okay. peak of my uh, business in Hancock Park, I was doing like 65, 70 deals a year. Which is a lot for any it was a lot, yeah. individual agent. I'd have, I think at the most I had was like 25 or 30 listings at a time. Yeah. Most of them were on lockbox. They were all starter homes. Uh, it was easy to, Beverly Hills is a very different marketplace. You can't do lockboxes unless they're vacant. Uh, so now I do maybe 15 to 20 transactions a year. It's just a different price point. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. it can sometimes be six, eight million. It can sometimes be 12, 13 million as an average. If I get some really big ones that pop that year, then it kind of blows all the numbers out of bounds. So, um, so that's kind of how it all started. But luxury is my thing, and that's what I'm really good at. 
And so I really try to focus on that because that's where, if, you're, if you feel good and feel right in that element, it comes across and you sell more properties. So, so here you are now, yeah. you're, you've sold hundreds and hundreds of millions of re- residential real estate, yep. one of the top luxury uh, brokers with Coldwell Banker. A lot of people will look at that and, and to your point, we talked about this before the podcast where people are like, oh, Christoph, you must've been born into this. You, right. you, you, know, you must've had family connections, but obviously you know, we just went through your story, that didn't happen. Yep. A lot of people, Art Williams, who built Prime America, always says okay. it's all about uh, those individuals, those salespeople that put in 5% more, that just do a little bit more, right? The difference between, and, and this is a speech of his from the 70s, the, the difference between a $50,000 earner and a $500,000 earner is typically just 5% more. It's just a little bit more. Yeah. What's your definition of 5% more or a little bit more that got you to where you are today? Good question. In terms of work ethic and all that, that's critically important. Even to this day, I'm at the office typically between 6 and 7 a.m. at the office. Uh, I have a lot of international clients, so I want to, you know, first of all, start my day with affirmations and role play and all those things and kind of planning my day, doing my little social media stuff and checking on things and emails. And by the way, you have an office setting to do that. This is a (laughs) spa-like environment in here. It's true. I, I created it as such with the right feng shui, fountains and plants and aromatherapy diffusers and crystals all the things that look I spent half my day I mean half my yeah half my days every single day of the year pretty much in the office so you need to have a nice environment so uh, work ethic is critically important so I'm here early every day I mean typically I come in you know six to seven I usually leave around six or seven at night unless we have an event and um, yeah the extra five percent that's I never thought of it quite that way but you always have to put the extra effort and sometimes I'm ready to leave I'm exhausted it's like six o'clock or six thirty I'm like Oh, there's that one call I forgot to call. I got to call them and I just make that call and it could take 20 minutes or 30 minutes. But then when I get home, I want to be able to kind of shut things down unless I'm in a negotiation um, and just kind of be able to turn the button off, rejuvenate for the next day. So there's probably people listening to this right now that want to do what you did, right? Where they start at a certain price point and they want to start jumping price ranges and get into the luxury market. Could somebody today in, in 2019 going into 2020, could somebody conceivably do what you did, which is, you know, have you had, I guess, some, some friends you, you had said in Beverly Hills, but having zero connections yep. in Beverly Hills, move into this market and start hitting the luxury price point? Or do you have to do what you did, which is start at a lower price point somewhere else, mm. get your feet under you before you can just throw yourself into that luxury pool. I will say this in Beverly Hills, luxury primarily is a relationship market. Um, Yes, I think there's always the occasion someone will see your marketing or something and they'll call you out of the blue, maybe more so with luxury buyers because I'm very out there on YouTube and social media and the internet. So a lot of luxury buyers do find me that way and I do work with them, the people I don't know. But I'd say most of the time, you know, most successful agents are listing agents primarily. So that in our marketplace is very difficult to break into because, you know, this, first of all, I think there's 5,000 agents on our street here where my office is, literally 5,000 agents on two blocks. Our company alone, I think, has 550 agents just for our company on this street. Mm-hmm. So the, the amount of competition is huge. And how many homes are in res- roughly residential homes Well, I think homes last year homes. there were 385 homes sold over 5 million. Sold. How many, how many uh, homes in Beverly Hills? Oh, I think there's... 
Oh, it's, uh, the population of Beverly Hills is, I think, 35,000. Okay, so there's not going to be... No, I, I don't know how many homes are in Beverly Hills, actually. I've never looked at that number. Yeah, not to put you on the spot on that. No. <laughs> a number I wouldn't know in, in my... Probably not homes. a lot of houses. Yeah. And again, even though I'm in Beverly Hills, that's my kind of primary market. We have... I basically work 15 MLS markets, I mean 15 MLS areas. Okay. Um, Beverly Hills is Beverly Hills has two MLS numbers. I hope it's not 15 MLSs that you have to. No, 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 thank God. <laughs> that would be no, one MLS, but 15 different zones. Got it. And with it, like in Beverly Hills, has area one and area two, and in those areas, there's maybe 15 to 16 different micro areas within each of those areas. So it's it's a very funky city that way. And then we have Bel Air next door. We have Hollywood Hills and Sunset Strip next door. We have uh, the Miracle Mile area. We have Century City. We have Brentwood, Santa Monica, Malibu. Uh, so those are kind of the. I cover the basically the west side of LA. So it's a pretty. It's maybe a. I'd say it's about a ten mile radius from my office. That's about the range. So if somebody were to say, you know what, I'm doing it anyways. I want to yeah. crack into this luxury market, yeah. whether it's Beverly Hills or anywhere. Yeah. Would you suggest they move right in, they integrate themselves in social clubs? How should they do it? Yeah, I think definitely you have to, I always say you have to live it, breathe it, be it in order to sell it. Meaning a luxury client wants to know you're part of their world. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not part of their world, they're not going to think you can sell their house. For example, I don't know if it's on the camera, but this house, that I, this was the first house to sell over $20 million in the Holmby Hills area of Los Angeles, which is the most exclusive area in L.A. This is about 10 years ago. Um, it was the most expensive home sold at that time, and I sold it. And we knew them socially for a number of years. We'd go to all their parties and charity events, support them. And out of the blue, one day he called me and says, we want you to sell our house. So you really have to be part of the world. So we live here. We eat here. We shop here. We go to all the events here. We donate to charities. We support charities. Um you really have to be part of the lifestyle. And even then, you go to a party and uh, you'll quite often see two or three other agents at your friend's party. It's like last night we went to a sit-down dinner party. Bulgari, the jewelry company, had a sit-down dinner in Bel Air. I saw that on, on yeah, your Instagram. At Judy Garland's former home, which was fun. And it's a beautiful property. And um, uh, met the owners of the house I'd never met before. Luckily, there were no other agents at the house. But that dinner had, I think there were 40 people maybe, maybe 35. Very... A lot of our friends that we already knew, uh, a lot of potential clients, and but you got to be around and be seen in those things. And it was probably a shocker for you that there was no other agents. It was because usually <laughs> there is. And yeah. when I spoke to the brokers, I mean the owner of the house right away, um, the husband said, "Well, what do you do?" I said, "I'm in real estate." And I said, "Oh no!" I mentioned. I said, "Well, you're in the Judy Garland." I said, "How did you know?" And I said, and he said, and he said, "What'd you do?" And I said, "I'm in real estate." And he said, "Oh, how'd you know?" And and right away he said, "Oh, well, you know, we bought this house from so and so." And I'm like, oh, yes, of course I know him. He's like, do you know him? I said, of course I do. So, you know, I can tell that relationship seemed because they sold their house with him, bought with him, you know. So um, even though there was no agents, the owner already has an agent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although that can change. So, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of that. But sometimes you go to a party and there's three or four uh, top brokers at these parties. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. You have to... It, I agree with you. Relationship business, whether it's on the brokerage level, referrals in, and you yeah. probably you're in position to, to get a lot of referrals in, yep. in this part of the country and certainly with, with your clients. Yep. If, um, if, so if someone says, okay, I'm willing to do all of that, right? What's the next best place to start? Is it to look for a team? If you're, if you're just coming out of the gates, wanting to crack into the luxury, yep. is it join a team, join what you did, the top 
uh, office in the area? What, what would be your advice? I there? would say, in what I, when I started, you know, 32 years ago, it was very, very different. Um, uh, and when I moved to Beverly Hills, it was suggested to me to maybe join up with another Beverly Hills agent and partner. And I did that for about six months, but I never felt I needed a partner. And I'm rather just try it on my own. If I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. I'd rather have a lower closing ratio in the beginning and just do it on my own. So I did join someone. Uh, we were partners for about six months or a year. That was fine, but it didn't really add benefit to what I was doing. So I stopped that. But I think in today's world in 2019, if you're coming to Beverly Hills and you want to get in the luxury market, you need to join a team. I think you on your own have a really it's going to be a really hard, long road to get to get some business unless you're just really connected. Really. So I would definitely say join a team. And for me, we're looking for someone to join my team. Uh, basically, if I can get someone who can door knock and prospect expired listings, and for, there's no for sale by owners, but expired listings, there's that. That would be a great, and, and we've done that before, and it's great. The success rate, I mean, I've heard it from you, I've heard it from other California agents. The success rate of door knocking in this state is really good. Like a lot of people have Monica, right? Like there's a lot of people that are doing yep. really well yep. with door knocking. Yep. Is that, and I know the weather plays into it and all of that. Is that just something you think is underrated right now with all the tech and everything that we're talking about in the real estate I still think face to face and, you know, you know, eye to eye is very important. Now in the city of Beverly Hills, you're not allowed to door knock. It's, it's oh, against okay. the law. You cannot solicit someone's door. Now, an expired listing is a little different. You can, you know, they were on the market. It's, you know, I've never had any issues with that. But you can't just now other areas like I have friends in Orange County that door knock communities. Right, Monica and they do and very, yeah, yeah, they do very, very well. Uh, and those are farms, and you can do it. But here, you just can't door knock. And we do have some gated communities that you can't door knock. So it would only be specifically for sale by owners if there are any, or Zillow make me moves, which there are not many, and then the expired listings. But to me. That's uh, when I've had that done in the past, it really worked out quite well because yeah. uh, they just get me a name, a number, someone I can talk to. And surprisingly, about 20% to 25% of the people are home during the day in Beverly Hills. So that was surprising. And so tried and true stuff. I, and I'm right there with you. Expired, door knocking, all of this stuff works. By the way, if you're trying to crack into luxury, those price points in whatever market you're in typically have more expireds than the right. lower average price points right. be, because there's more inventory most of most of the yeah. time. Going totally opposite direction, right? There's a lot of uh, companies coming in and building tech around whatever the heck it right. is, right? Open right. door and Redfin's doing their thing and Zillow's doing their stuff. Yeah. When we just look at the luxury market across the country, how much is this stuff I buying? How much is any of what the industry's wrapped up in talking about right now going to impact the luxury market because it is so relationship based like you said right i i don't really see that really ever being a huge effect in our market at all um when i go to conferences and i hear about i buying and i'm like what are they talking about uh or like the zillow you know buy programs or whatever they do i'm like what i mean like zillow yeah we we use zillow here we advertise on zillow here but to me very rarely do i get leads from zillow and in the old days i used to buy the zip codes and all that just was never never really worked uh, in our marketplace. Uh, one time I had a guy buy a, a $1.8 million condo for me from Zillow. He just called me. I spoke on the phone. He was uh, 80 years old and he was buying it for his wife's anniversary. He came that day. They made an offer that day and they bought a $1.8 million condo. But aside from that, I really don't have a lot of Zillow success stories. Um, so I, I don't, and like Redfin, occasionally we'll get a Redfin broker calling to show one of our listings. And I, I just, I won't say anything negative about it, but I know it's going to be a challenge. 
Uh, but it just, it's not really around. Like even in our market here, we don't have Century 21. Remax doesn't exist. Um, a lot of the brands that are uh, around the country just don't exist in Beverly Hills. There's Cobble Banker and a couple of smaller boutique firms, but that's the, we're, that's the luxury leaders. And Cobble Banker is, you know, more than double the other companies in our area. So, um, yeah, that's that stuff. It just doesn't really cross my path, and I don't know much about it. Uh, typically, your clients are going to be more demanding. Than, oh, yeah. You know, if, if someone's looking for the Redfin model, they are just looking at the numbers and maybe Redfin they, have an is a, is a, price they point. get money back, right? Isn't that they how get that money works? back? It's a discount model, right? And there's plenty of discount models. So, so Redfin's just one of them that yeah. have had has done a little job, better job innovating yeah. that process. Yeah. But your clients or any luxury client is going to be really demanding on what they expect, almost a or, or probably certainly a concierge level oh, yeah. of service. Yeah. And that service side to me isn't going to go away because that client's needs yep. are, are still going to be the same in 10 years, yep. right? They, time is important to yep. them. They're traveling a lot, yep. whatever it may be. Tell me a story about, and you don't have to use names, but a story or a situation of your most demanding client need. And I know there's lots of them. There's probably some of them this week happening right now <laughs> as, we, as we do this. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a, something a client demands. I mean, there's certain criteria clients have, like a lot of high-end properties you can only show between certain hours. Uh, they will not show if there was a big wind last night and the house wasn't gardened properly. And even if they have full-time gardeners and full-time staff, you can't sometimes touch light switches and things like that. So uh, every owner is different and you have to just understand what they're looking for and what they want. But demanding can come in all shapes or forms D demanding is they need me to be there for all the showings which can be challenging because i can't be everywhere all the time and um but in terms of god really demanding things for me i wouldn't say they really demand because we we do provide a tremendous amount of service and go above and beyond so we don't really have like them calling and say you've got to do this and i would say yeah the only de yeah let me just know them i'm thinking of one right now let me see i'm looking at a listing photo and thinking um the most challenging i had is i had a client they were just Every day, two, three times a day, they want to know what's going on. I couldn't post anything about their property, any oh. photo, any marketing thing, any blog, nothing publicly without their approval first. So when we were marketing, the, it was a you know very, very large property, very expensive property. But every day when I would prepare something, it would have to go by them. They'd have to approve it, approve the copy, make changes. That was probably the toughest I've had to deal with. And Two weeks into the listing, I thought to myself, I should cancel this. I really did. But it was over $50 million. And I thought, no, they're going to see how good I am and what I do, and it's, it's going to be fine. Well, uh, I ended up not selling the house, and oh. we spent well over 100000 marketing I was, I was waiting for the, we sold it. No, not that one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's some clients who can just be, the clients who want to micromanage me and tell me what to do, that's the problem. That's mm -hmm. the, that would say that would be the demanding one. And I've learned now not to do that. If they're not going to give me carpool, the ones that follow my advice and just let me do what I need to do and trust me, their houses always get sold. The ones that think they know or tell me how to do things, that's what I call demanding and it's not benefiting them because they're not in the business for 32 years. Or um, So that's that I would say, demanding me to do things that I know should, don't work. And that particular client wanted four covers of magazines and inside spreads, which we did because we wanted the listing. And of course, 
that never made the phone ring. You know, the phone calls we got were for my online marketing. So yeah. I'd say demanding is, is just that them asking me to do things that I know shouldn't don't the, work. The bulk of, of your leads and outside of your connections, right? The bulk of your leads are coming online marketing right now? Most of my, my clients are all uh, past clients in Sphere or mm-hmm. referrals. Past clients in Sphere, people I know, agent referrals, that's the... How about buyers on your listings? Where are they coming from? Uh, I do... Buyers on my listings do come a lot from online. Okay. Uh, signs still, we get a number of buyers from signs. That's okay. still, it's not as much as it used to be. It's maybe more like 10% from signs. But I would say the buyers that, that just come to me to represent them in purchasing a home in LA, those typically, I wouldn't say typically, but uh, uh, maybe 30, 40% of them will find me online. They start their search on Google typically or YouTube and they search Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Hollywood Hills, whatever. They see my content. As you know, I've got like 2,800 videos online. Um, so they see my content, they watch it and uh, they call me and that's, and usually from the first call to closing could be eight months to a year plus out until we actually get a deal for them. But uh, the people I just don't know that just, they come from uh, Google searches and YouTube searches. I would okay. say that not so much social media, but Google and YouTube. Google and YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just to wrap this thing up. Yeah. I'm going to ask you just a bunch of random, fun, <laughs> quick questions. And then okay. you, you can answer them all. Uh, and we'll promise quickly. I'll answer all of them. But or I'll... you don't have to answer all of them. <laughs> uh, first one I'll ask you, you mentioned the the property that you didn't sell. You spent over 100000 What's the most you've ever spent in marketing one single house? About 150000 150000 yeah, Over a 12-month period. Yeah. yeah. High, high-end properties, I typically take a one-year listing contract. I won't do it for less. Yeah. That makes sense. Is that the norm here? I don't know if it's the norm. I know for me it is. Um, a lot of agents do it for six months, but it's so much time, effort, and expense. And a lot of these high-end properties take two, three, four years to sell, depending on how they price it. So uh, I, I don't want to take it on a short term. So a year is pretty much the... the the point for me on a something over 10 or 20 million. Okay. So most about 150,000. You have a fabulous shoe collection. What's the most you've ever spent <laughs> on a pair of shoes? Oh, I don't know if I should say that. Um, <laughs> let's put it this way. Um, more than my first car costs. Let's put it more that than way. Your yeah. first car. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, when I come back but to shoes, get you, get me business. People like shoes. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, a, it's a conversation starter. Sandra up in Halifax. Do you know Sandra? She's part of the Tom Ferry ecosystem. I, what's your last name? Uh, San, Sandra Pike. Oh, yeah. In Halifax. Course. Yeah. She does every closing. She buys a new pair of heels. I like and, that. And so in her market, they say, hey, Sandra, you got a new pair of shoes. It's deals and heels. So she's branded mm. herself around. Yes, she, yes. I remember watching, listening to your podcast about that. She gets business off of buying shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I will say when you do what you love and you're in your environment and you're happy, that's when business comes to you. So uh, we, I'm really into fashion and into jewelry and travel. So I've gotten a lot of business from being part of those things. Yeah. You buy a lot, you get invited to the parties and the other people buy a lot also go to the parties and there are many people we know and they're past clients, potential clients or current clients. So, so the shoes, I love all the travel stuff you do. Best first class experience of any flight you've ever had. Oh, Emirates. Uh, we went to Dubai, and um, when we travel, we only like to... We got to find the picture and put that up. Oh, yeah. You have a great the, picture. You mean the pajamas? Believe, yes, in the pajamas. <laughs> yeah, I took a shower on the plane. I was in my pajamas. I, whenever I travel, I, when I go to New York, I don't travel uh, with pajamas on. 
Well, sometimes I do actually, um, but anything that's international, like to Europe or Asia, of course, I get on the plane, the first thing I do is I put pajamas in a robe, my own. I don't like the ones they give you in first class. So yeah, best travel experience uh, airline-wise is Emirates. Uh, Singapore Airlines would be number two, but Emirates is amazing because um, you basically have half of the top floor of the A380, I think it is. You have two showers. Uh, when, last time we went to Dubai, we were, it was my wife and I and, um, um, oh my gosh, our friend, I forget his name right now. Anyways, um, three of us in first class, and there's 24 seats, and they're all private little apartments. And on Emirates, you can order what you want, when you want, a la carte. There's no set time to dine. You have vintage champagnes, and they're like, I said, I want a bottle of champagne, and I want this drink, and I want my iced tea. And you have a little refrigerator in your cabin, just for your little drinks. Um, the food is amazing. The service is incredible, but there were three of us in a the 24 seats available, three people, Tyrese Gibson, yes, he was with us. It was Tyrese, my wife, and I on the flight to Dubai, and then we hung out in Dubai, which was really fun. Just the three of us, you know, and we had like, I think, like nine stewardesses and stewards to help oh. the three of us. So everything we wanted was there, and taking a shower, that was my first shower on the plane, uh, and I took one taking off LA, and then I took one landing in Dubai, because it's a 17 and a half hour flight. And I just figured I have to take a shower, have right? Got to do it. Um, so, and they have a wonderful bar, um, an actual bar with chairs and I mean tables and lounges, which is nice. So, yeah, Emirates in their their lounges are in Dubai. They have their own terminal, and in their own terminal, there's a economy floor, there's a business class floor, and there's the first class floor. Oh wow! An entire floor. There were four restaurants, uh, shoe shiners, massage therapists, sleeping rooms. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. So that's that's my best. Did you want to leave the plane when you landed? Um, it was more comfortable than being at home, really. It was, it was more comfortable going 17 and a half hours to Dubai on Emirates than going first class to New York. Um, it just, it's, it's a much more pleasurable experience. And you could actually sleep eight or nine hours. And you have this private compartment with a real bed, not like those Delta flat beds and all. I mean, those are like little tiny little flat spaces. Are, yeah. yeah. The other airlines are like Singapore now has the new suites which you can, if you're a couple, they put the two beds together, combine the compartments, oh, wow. and you have like a, a queen-size bed, which is like nothing like, with like real sheets and pillows and the whole, not those, you know, junky, American, United, I mean, first class in America is not really great. Um, right. You know, and, and if it's not the lay down, it's really just extra. It's nothing. Room, yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, but most of the inner, that's when we travel, we usually take the carrier for that country. If we go to Italy, we take Alitalia, France is Air France, Singapore, as, you know, Singapore Airlines, because usually the airlines for the country typically are quite good mm -hmm. uh, in most countries. So, um, yeah, and I think it's important. Great. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Uh, when I come back to Beverly Hills yeah. with my wife, yeah. next time I'm here with my wife, what is one restaurant we absolutely cannot miss? Mr. Chow. Mr. Chow. Yeah. Mr. Chow has always been my favorite in L.A. They have it at L.A., New York, London, uh, Kyoto, Vegas now, and Miami. Um, so every time I go to those cities, I always go to Mr. Chow, the best tasting food. It's just, it's not regular, like Chinese food, like around the corner or takeout Chinese. It's kind of nouvelle Chinese cuisine. I mean, Mr. Chow opened in Beverly Hills, I think 44 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, they're still around and we've been going there for 36 years for 30 some years. Uh, I just love the food and it's, it's the who's who, anybody who's somebody, if they're in LA or they live in LA, they're going to be at Mr. Chow mm -hmm. for dinner. Will Christoph Chu ever do an expansion market? Meaning have a different office elsewhere? Yeah, different market. I don't see that. Um, 
just simply because of time and effort. And as you alluded to, the, the higher end I go and the more expensive properties I have, the more maintenance and servicing that requires. And um, even though people have helped me, a lot of times I have to deal with it. So I don't know if expansion in terms of another marketplace is, is for me. I'm. It's very easy to send a referral. I know all the top agents in the world, not all of them, but a lot of them. And it's just much simpler to, to send out a referral, get a nice referral fee and kind of watch over things for them than be involved day to day in, in another marketplace, at least for me. Do you see yourself selling real estate forever and not having an exit plan or retirement or whatever you want to call it? Or Yeah, good question. I don't really ever see myself retiring. I mean, I, I, I love to travel, but I don't think I could travel all the time like all year round and just sit at home. I mean, I'm not a sit at home. Unless it was on the Emirates. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, my wife and I, we love to cruise. So my wife and I have talked about, uh, I like to go on a cruise minimum of two weeks. I like a three, four week cruise. Those are really nice, especially places you've never been to kind of experience those new, new countries. Um, so I said, if I'd like to do a world cruise, I think it's 130 days or 160 days that I would like to do. Because in every other day or every two days you're in a different country, different city, that would be fun. But I think once you've done it once, I don't think I'd want to do it again because also on a cruise, that's really luxurious. But all you do is eat. I mean, you know, just eat and eat and eat and I gain a lot of weight. So, <laughs> All right, last question. If you had to pick one external force, so not you, not the hard work that you do, one external force has been the biggest um, benefit to your real estate career. I, it's just kind of twofold. I'd say it's coaching and education. Um, I've, I've had coaches in real estate since I was 23, so most of my career. I mean, a huge portion of my career. I really believe in the value of coaching because coaching, and I also believe in education. Um, so to me, I go to three to four to five conferences a year with my coach and other people like you. That's how we met uh, in the coaching uh, world. And uh, in continuous education, I'm always educating myself. And let's face it, I mean... Uh, the market today is so different than five years ago and technology is changing at such a rapid pace from every side of it. I mean, back 10, 12 years ago, nobody was doing videos. I mean, I was the first one to do them. And now a lot of people are doing videos and I have to keep upping my game and learning and educating myself on kind of what's the new changes and what can I do differently to stand out again from the crowd. So, yeah, it's when, when I look at anybody that's at the top of their market, top of their field, we're talking about Josh Rubin, who's yeah. New York City broker coming in today, flying in today, and I'll, I'll be hanging out with him tomorrow. He's the same way, right? When, when there's something to learn, he's right there yeah. absorbing the information. I mean, I, the first time you asked me a question about something on Instagram, I'm like, oh my gosh, Christoph's asking me a question. This is, it. But it's incredible to see the level of commitment that yeah. you take year in and year out of learning your craft, getting a little bit better each day, getting yep. a little bit better each year. Always, and even when I travel, I mean, I try to spend time, because you know, people buying Beverly Hills are typically, or people who live in Beverly Hills, quite often have properties around the world, multiple, and especially at the high end, they might have four or five or six homes around the world. And I do travel a lot, so I always make it a point to study and understand those markets. So like in Dubai, I spent two days with the president and owner of, and the head of marketing for CoBanker, in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, I spoke at their office, I met with the agents, shared my experience and knowledge with them, um, you know, toured like seven of the different parts of Dubai, the Burj Al Khalifa, the tallest building in the world, looked at penthouses they're selling, looked at mansions on the uh, Palm Jumeirah Island, looked at villas in, um, um, I forget the other area, and looked in the Marine. So I already spent two full days studying and absorb. I rented a helicopter to fly over the city with them to mm. 
understand the different areas because I do have a lot of people, not so much the U.S. people, but a lot of European clients and Asian clients that do want and have bought in Dubai. So now I've got the connections. When I kind of know the markets, I kind of know prices. Um, and even in New York, speaking of Josh Rubin, when I was there a couple of weeks ago speak, for a speaking engagement, I had like one half day available to do stuff. So what I do, I call Josh. I said, let's get together. We had breakfast. And then we looked at two or three uh, penthouses on Park Avenue and uh, Fifth Avenue. Because I have a lot of clients who have properties in New York. And we did videos and sh showed places. And it's, it's good for me to be educated in all those things. So anywhere I go in the world, I try to make time to look at real estate. My friend, I have friends all over the world and spend whether it's a few hours or half a day to their office or looking at properties so I kind of know what the market is out there in the luxury realm because I think that's very important to well, be knowledgeable. Always learning. Yeah. Christoph, thank you so much. Uh, we've got to go. We're going to go tour one of your new one of my listings. $20 yep. million listings. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, head over to, that's going to be a whole separate video, head over <laughs> to the tour of Christoph's newest listing. It's definitely something you want to check out. Uh, if you're on YouTube, we're going to link up all of your YouTube channel, which is fabulous. Again, that's over 8 million views. It'll be over 10 million views at any point here I hope so. in, in uh, 2020. <laughs> For sure. It definitely will. Christoph, thank you so, so much. You've been thank gracious you. I'm so honored time. you came to LA to see me and we get to hang out today. It's really cool. It's going to be fun. Nice. Thank you. Thank you.